Thank you for that, Bob. I think everyone's glad I'm going to quit giving whole psalms for them to read. <laughs> for all of our uh, guests and everyone visiting today, um, just a couple things as I begin. First, I want to remind everyone I'm new. I've been here about eight weeks now. So, and, and depending what day of the week it is, when you talk to me, it feels like that eight weeks is like two or three weeks or about 80 weeks. So, you know, just depending on the day is going that day. But uh, I want to, as we begin, remind everyone that, especially for our guests and our first-time visitors. So if I'm making references like I did earlier about the fact I just bought a house, that's why. I'm not leaving, I'm coming. Um, so two, the other thing is you're, you're coming at the end of, the tail end of a sermon series where I've asked all of the congregation to submit songs to me uh, their favorite songs, not just religious songs, not just worship songs, but their favorite songs in general. And then we've used those favorite songs to kind of chart a course for the book of Psalms and talk about how we use the book of Psalms to encourage us, to express emotion, to help us worship. And we've come to the last, last week of that where we talk about the exciting road trip song. If you remember from the very first week, I'd put a question up there. It was a post from Reddit, if you know what Reddit is. And it asked, what is your favorite road trip song? And then everyone shouted something. Someone shouted a corn song in the back, and I was really confused. And someone else shouted a Limp biscuit song, and I was even more confused. But um, <laughs> whoever agreed with that confusion, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you agreed. Um, but we, we had everyone put those out, and then we began talking about how songs inform how we feel, how songs and the Psalms, specifically in the Bible, help us experience the world or express how we experience the world. And I think one of the best ways we can think about that here in Central Texas is through the idea of what happens in the holiest of holies in our communities. What happens on Friday night in the fall? Um, as many of you know from my first sermon series, just getting to know me, I grew up, both my wife and I grew up in Belton, down the road, and back in the day, it was a much smaller community, like a lot of the communities around here, and she was in the band, and I did the best sport ever, I played tennis, because I didn't like sweating as much as all my friends in football, and... We'd go and we would watch the games because in a small farming community growing up, that's literally all there was to do on Friday nights to go watch football games. And so we'd go watch the games. That and we had friends playing. And one of the things I very vividly remember is they would play a song and you would know it was a Friday football game. You would get excited about it when they'd play this song. See, we were, our school colors were red and white and we were the Tigers. So they would play... To start every football game, Eye of the Tiger. And, and you get a little excited when you hear that. You, you, you think of, of you know, sports, or if you're into old 80s movies, you think of the training montages that happen when Eye of the Tiger plays. You know, I'm going to get ready for whatever big conflict's coming up. I'm going to run up the steps really well. You know, I'm going to lift those weights. I'm going to pump that iron. You, you think of all these things, and, and they, they inspire you. It's kind of like this concept of a road trip song. You know, there's this song that we all think of when we're going to travel down the road, and it makes us drive faster. It makes us more excited. 
a call back to that first sermon in the series, you know, one of the most profound road trip songs to me, one of the most meaningful experiences of a road trip is driving through nowhere, Tennessee, listening to Piano Man. I don't know why, but that is the most Midwestern thing I can think of. And it sets the tone for the drive and the mood. There are things like that that happen that are exciting. I would know because I've been doing a lot of driving between here and Fort Worth every week. But it sets the tone. It's funny because we do that and we we intentionally lean into that in, in certain instances like sports. If you've ever been to a college football game or watched one, you hear the band playing the school song. Maybe that's why I'm a big UT fan, our high school fight song with the same fight song as UT. You know, and, and they use that. They get the crowd hyped up with that. They get them excited about what's happening with that. And some schools have really silly fight songs, like the University of Kentucky. Some schools have even sillier fight songs. There's this one where the fight song literally starts with them mimicking the sound of a train. Hullabaloo, connect, connect. See, without fail, when I use that illustration in every single church I've been at, someone whoops. I don't know what it means, (laughs) but it happens. My wife would do it if she was here. (laughs) But no, seriously, we we use those as as, as a way to hype everyone up, to get things going, to get the people in the right mood and the right perspective. You are here to experience this football game. You are here to watch your team win. You're here to cheer them on to victory. Boy, those fight songs really deflate when they lose, though. You know, that's one of the things that happens in Scripture, specifically in the Psalms, is the author of the Psalms is using those Psalms at times as what we call Psalms of encouragement. Because there are times, as we've talked about, where we need the Psalms in the Bible to help us express things that are beyond the capability of our spoken language, as we said the first week. Sometimes that is something that is so profoundly deep as love. Boy, y'all submitted a bunch of love songs. I still kind of have light trauma from having to sort through all of them. Um, Sometimes... It is as profound as something extremely sad. And sometimes, many times, the psalm writer uses those encouraging words to lift the people up. Yes, yes, when they were exiled to Babylon, the psalm writer had to write psalms expressing their grief like we used last week of how sad the situation was. But if you read through the book of Psalms, you'll notice it turns quickly to psalms of encouragement. And if you look on the same timeline in history as the psalm writer is writing those psalms, you'll see in a parallel with the prophet's in exile, shifting from the doom and gloom of their prophecies to prophets like Joshua saying, you've literally got to pray for the welfare of the town God's placed you in for this season of life. Because quickly, even after we express that grief, God, through the work of the psalmist, lifts us up and encourages us to move forward. It might be darkness for a while, but as one psalm says, joy comes 
in the morning. And in the scripture, specifically the Old Testament, we use psalms to set that tone, to encourage us to push forward, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, even when we really just want to stay in bed that day. Spiritually, or literally sometimes for us that don't like the morning. And the psalm writer captures this purpose very well. I think extremely well in Psalm 150 as he wraps up the whole book. And this is really a doxology. It's, it's similar to a, a hymn really wrapping up and setting the tone going forward. They're concluding with this grand view of praising God, and not just kind of praising God, not just a little bit of praising God, not like a dash of it here or a little bit there, but like the whole thing. They're going all out. You know, break out the lyre, break out the harp, break out the cymbals, the clashing cymbals. Oh, I agree with that back in high school. My wife played the cymbals in the drum line. I love her, but they're annoying. And when my first daughter said, I'm going to inquire, I said, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, but, it, I mean, hold nothing back. Sing and dance. Even our Baptist brothers and sisters. Sing and dance for the Lord with the drum. I mean, this psalm is painting a very vivid picture of sound in which we are encouraged, wherever we are, however we are, to take what we have between the clashing cymbals and the drums and maybe even the offbeat steps of our feet and praise the Lord with it. This is a psalm of encouragement, a doxology sung to encourage us to continue, in spite of the context we find ourselves in, to continue to praise our God. It's a psalm that sets the tone and the mood going forward. That we're to praise the Lord. And there are certain songs that do that outside of my horrible sports illustration beginning. They're songs that always put us in some sort of mindset when we hear them. And we can almost as a group always, always complete them. You know, if I stand up here and I say, sweet Caroline, you guys can hum the next part of that tune. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that went a lot better in my head than it did just now. <laughs> so let's try that again. Sweet Caroline. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, there we go. That's so much better. Thank you. You know, we, we, you can do the same, you know, if I stand up here and say YMCA. Yeah, you, you get it. It's something that is ingrained in you. It sets the tone. You, you, you think about, especially if you lived through that era, you know, what was happening. It brings you back to that space. And more than likely with those songs, they're exciting and they're happy and they're fun. They, they inspire good memories. I was on a mission trip, and I was debating with one of the other adults. It was a youth mission trip, and we had a bunch of junior high kids on our work team, which is a challenge. <laughs> it's, it's how God provides the patience. And, and as we were there, we were debating songs. And this is a few years before the pandemic. We are debating songs, and, and the other adult I have was a much older pastor. And he said, you know, Eric, some songs... They transcend generations. And I was like, really? 
I'm not sure, because these kids are like 12 and 13. Like, all they do is play Minecraft every day. And he said, watch this. And he, he put the, took the aux cord, if you know what that is, plugged it into his phone, and played Sweet Caroline. And every one of those 12 and 13-year-old kids knew the intro to the chorus line you just sang. And I was shocked. But some of these songs are so much a part of our culture, so much a part of our identity, that even at an early age, even though those kids were not even born, I know this is going to be hard for some of you, they were not even born in the same century that song came out in. (laughs) To be fair, that's true for me too. I was born in the 1900s, as my daughter says, a long time ago. And, you know, but even though they weren't born in the same century, it's still something that's communicated, something that's nested in them. They hear it, and they have a profoundly positive experience. It encourages them to move forward. I had a good friend of mine who's in the military. He met a girl overseas at the least opportune time because he met her as he was transitioning and moving back to the States, to the beautiful, beautiful Fort Bliss. And then, it's a little bit different than Germany out in El Paso, and he, he uh, would fly back, and they ended up getting engaged and getting married. I, I had the honor of doing part of the wedding as a joint Protestant-Catholic wedding, and the one request at the reception they had of the DJ, who didn't speak any English, by the way, was to play American songs. And he, he came up to us at the start of the reception. He's like, I got, I got a great American song for y'all. And we were like, oh. And we're like, okay. Actually, we're like, okay to the translator. And, and we stand up, and he plays the first American song. Bye, bye, bye. By NSYNC. Yes. And so, in case you don't remember 90s, Boy bands. What? Or try not to if you're like me. That's a good point. You know, but still, what was interesting is, one, all of us in the wedding party knew it. Two, it still encouraged the people to engage in, in a good time, even if it was funny. And what's funny about the Psalms is that even when we don't like them, even when we disagree with them, because it's okay to struggle with Scripture. Even when you have a hard time with them, as I've said over and over in this sermon series, that I, one, hate Hebrew, two, I don't necessarily like working with poetry, they still encourage you. They still lift you up. You can't walk away from this today that... I feel like Chris just rickrolled me on the screen here. <laughs> you can't walk away from this passage we read today without feeling the joy in the author's writing. You can feel it. It's palpable. Even if you don't necessarily like Psalms, or you don't like poetry, or if you're biased against Hebrew like me, you still walk away from Psalm 150, and you feel encouraged. You feel the excitement that he has entered into God's presence and invited all of us to come along. 
to see that presence with him, to stand among it and experience it ourselves. And that shared experience through these psalms, the same kind of shared experience we have through these songs that all of you have submitted, is something that ties us together. It's something in some weird way where God has stitched us together in this grand thing we call the human experience, that we get to share that with each other, that we get to share Sweet Caroline or YMCA, and I really hope your memories of YMCA aren't from the Minions movie, like my children's, (laughs) all the parents laugh (laughs) or groan silently. You know, that shared experience is what binds us together. And for the church, it's that shared experience of God that grasps us and brings us together. The shared experience of praising our God, standing in his presence with the lute and the lyre. I'm not even sure what a lyre is. with the cymbals that are clashing and the drums that are banging, the feet that aren't quite always dancing in time. It's those things that bind us together as we read Psalm 150 that remind us that we all enter in worship to the presence of a living God. And it sets the tone and mood, just like any of the songs. Just like one of the songs you submitted from the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. But you get what you need. You get what you need. You know, one of my, my vivid memories growing up is we'd go to the nearby military base every year for the 4th of July after going to the, the rodeo and the parade downtown, all sort of central Texas things. And every single year, they would play the overture of 1812 and fire the cannons. And... That set the mood. That made it the 4th of July for me. It was not the 4th of July until I sat in that stadium and that itchy grass and the mosquitoes buzzing and the overture of 1812 played by the military band and they fired the cannons and the fireworks started. Then, and only then, was it the 4th of July. It didn't matter the barbecues or the rodeo or the parade or the carnival or any of that, but that's... That music, that shared experience set the tone and made it what it is. In the same way the Psalms do for us in our worship. It's funny because we can also kind of get very tight cast into what we consider worship music. And and churches tend to only have a repertoire of worship songs, about 20 or 30 of them, that the congregation likes singing. And you start singing outside of that, and people, people start like fidgeting and wondering, what's going on? What are we doing here? What's this new pastor making us sing? And it's funny, I want to say, you know, that idea of what worship songs are, the idea of what songs bind us together as a congregation and bring us into the presence of God, the songs that set the tone like a good road trip song, those change over time. And they change drastically. You know, I was just going to tell you about this, and I realized this morning I could show you instead. You know, this is a collection of old hymns, all Methodist hymns, believe it or not, um, 
we all have very boring hobbies, I think, when, once you get over 30. You know, if you're over 30 and you're a guy, you're either going to get really into smoking meat or really into the Civil War, strangely. And, or, or, or you're like me and you're going to get into a really weird hobby of collecting old hymns. And hymnals, I should say, not hymns. The hymns are the songs. Hymnals are the books. And so I have a collection of old hymns. Hymnals. I, I swear, y'all, it's been a long week. And, and I want to show you, it's changed so much over time. You know, this is a hymnal from 1863. This is, you know, and the pastor would take it. He'd be the only one with the hymnal, and he would read it. How? Someone who said how, that's a great question. And so he would read this, and this is, uh, he would sing from it and lead the congregation in singing. I don't thankfully do that, or none of you would be here. Um, and we have a few more from the 1800s, and then we have the, the, the gold standard, you know, of, of the early 1900s, the Cokesbury Hymnal. I've had more fights in my office about this hymnal than any other book, including the Bible. <laughs> The pastors laugh. <laughs> you know, then we have some older Methodist hymnals, and then the current hymnal, and the edition they put out, all that stuff. You know, the point, though, is look how much it's changed from here to here. And the content, the songs, what connects them to the people has changed. But not completely. You know, you put this hymnal up, and as true of every Methodist hymnal, this is your, your fact if you're ever at a pub quiz and you need a good fact. Every hymnal starts with a thousand tongues. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Whoever said it on the left side here. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And if you pull out the current hymnal at the bottom, the very same hymn starts. There's some more stuff in it, by the way, at the beginning. Like 50 pages of more stuff. For a moment, I had a panic that I didn't have my hymnal, but a book of worship instead. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. The very first hymn, page 57. You know, part of it changes, and part of it stays the same. You know, it's kind of like Sweet Caroline. The things that bind us sometimes they change. You know, if, if you find Gen Z and they're listening to Sweet Caroline, it's probably a sped-up, remixed version on TikTok, if I'm being honest. But the content's still there. They still know that chorus line that we let off with. In the same way, there are worship songs that we sing today that are going to be part of that identity going forward. Not all of them, obviously, because we cut a lot of this out to get to here. But there's some that will go forward as almost modern hymns that will carry forward in a hundred years from now. They'll still be singing in churches, just like we sang today. Just like a hundred years ago, there's songs they sang that we sing. And as we come to that, I think one of the best examples of that is a song we sung this morning in worship, 10,000 Reasons. This encapsulates the life and experience of a person of faith in the way that we all do, binding us together, just like Psalm 150, in this shared experience of worship. 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh my soul. 
just like Psalm 150. And can it be, if, if there was a fight song for seminaries, that's a weird thing to say. You know, and can it be an old, old hymn from the 1800s would be my seminary's fight song? We sang that like every month in chapel. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? We look at this and we think of Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, one of the unifying songs for the Methodist movement since its inception. John Wesley himself sang this hymn and mandated it to be the first hymn always. We think of things like the doxology. If you're in a traditional liturgical church, that's old 95 in the hymnal. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And depending which version, you sing the amen differently. These are the songs like Psalm 150 that unite us in faith. They're their shared experiences. They are our YMCA. They are our sweet Caroline. They are our, they are our you don't always get what you want. Because with music planning and worship, you don't always get what you want. Sometimes you get what you need. But they bind us together. They remind us who we are. And most importantly, like a good road trip song, they encourage us to move forward. Even at times when we don't want to. Even at times when we struggle to put the next foot forward. You know, when Psalm 150 was written, the nation of Israel struggled with that. And yet, the writer still said to them, Praise our God. Not only in his holy temple, not only our God enthroned in the sky, but praise our God wherever he might be with everything you have. Even at a point when they struggled to move forward. The psalm that connected them one to the other, the psalm that called them into the presence of worshiping God, the psalm that told them however you make that noise. And for some of us, it might sound like noise. Still make it for God. That, that encouragement for the nation of Israel is what got them through. And I want to encourage you, no pun intended, as we move forward as a church, you know, things will be different. Things will change. There'll be new faces. There'll be new people. There'll be new stuff. But remember, we are shared and bound by this experience of God that we find in the Psalms. We are shared in the love of God. We share in his presence. And we share in that experience of church together. It might not always be the best. It might not always be what you want. It might not always be this or that. But the one thing I hope it always is, is something that encourages you
to take the next step, to continue with whatever noise you make, whatever songs you listen to, however strange they might be, which I know there's some strange people out there because I see the music you submitted. You cannot hide that. However country they might be, Lord, there was a lot of country music. Whatever it might be, I want you to know with whatever noise you make, go forward and praise the Lord. Let that be what encourages you. Let that be what binds us one to the other. Just as the psalmist writes. And I can't close the series without mentioning one of the most famous songs that everyone knows. Because I have not yet mentioned a queen song. But there is one song I think that does and captures this in a secular sense so well that always be encouraged, always let the tone be set by that psalm. Or for us, always let the tone be set by that song. You know, whether you're young or old, everyone can sing along with Bohemian Rhapsody. And since it was submitted four times, I had to mention it. So... Wherever you are, however you make that music, whether it's the good part of the song where everyone's excited, whether it's the sad part of your life where you're telling your mama you just killed a man, or anything between, let the music you make with your life praise the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We come to a time of communion this morning where we take part in the table. And as we do, I want to remind everyone, especially our first-time guests and visitors, we celebrate what's known as an open table. You don't have to be a member here or part of the church or anything like that. We just want you to find the same God who resides at this table. So with that, we come and we celebrate what Jesus did for us on the night in which he was betrayed. And when he was sitting in the upper room with the disciples, he took a loaf of bread like this. And encouraging them, he said, this is my body, broken for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Eat often of this in remembrance of me. And then when the dinner had passed, he took the cup and he raised it and he blessed it and he said, this is my body, or this is my blood, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink often of this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to the table today and we celebrate communion, Might you make this bread and juice be for us the body and blood of Christ that we, wherever life finds us today, might be the body of Christ, a people who are redeemed by his blood. As we gather near, might you encourage us with the psalms of your testaments. Might you encourage us with the songs of worship we sing. God, might you encourage us with the songs we listen to at home and on the go and in the car. God, let those playlists, let those songs that we've heard about and experienced fill our heart and bind us together that whatever noise we make, as we draw near the table, might be a praise to you. We pray this in Christ's name, inviting him to come among us now and fill us. In the name of that Christ, we pray. Amen.